13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and we'll start reading in verse 10. It says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogues of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, in them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite. Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. We'll end our reading right there. It's a fairly short uh, passage of scripture but back to, uh, to verse 10 uh, once again Jesus it says he was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold there was a woman which had the spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together or bowed together and could uh, in no wise lift herself up and when Jesus saw her he called her to him and said unto her woman thou art loosed from thine infirmity so Jesus here is in the synagogue he's here uh, in the synagogue with uh, multiple people around him. This was the meeting place. This was pretty much the Jewish church house of the day. They would meet uh, and they would have the scriptures read and they would have people teach from the scriptures and that's precisely what Jesus Christ was doing uh, this day. And there was this woman here that had this infirmity. The Spirit said that she was uh, bowed together or bowed together. Uh, she, would, uh, she was basically folded in half. She could, and that was the, her state for the past 18 years of her life. The scripture doesn't tell us how old she was, how long uh, or how long before uh, or how old she was when this infirmity uh, come to be or come to pass. We just know that she had been in that kind of shape for 18 years. But here's this man, Jesus, in the synagogue. Here's this woman in the synagogue amongst uh, other people, including the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus sees this woman and he calls to her, folks. She was bowed down. She was bowed together. She in no way could look up and uh, see much of anything that was going on. All this woman had seen for 18 years was the dust of the ground. She may have been able to have raised her head just a little bit to see what was directly in front of her. But other than that, she couldn't see a whole lot. But Jesus Christ saw her, folks, when we were in our pitiful, sinful state. Before we were saved, we were in the same shape that this woman here was. It may 
have been 18 years for you. It may have only been 12 years for you. It may have been 40 years for you. But either way, you couldn't look up and see the Savior. You could only look down toward the earth. You could only look down toward what this world had to offer you. And the world doesn't have much to offer, my friend. It may seem that the world has everything to offer. It may seem that it has riches, that it has power, that it has fame and prestige and clout that the world can offer you. But Jesus looked down on you in mercy just as he did this one here. He looked down and he saw your pitiful condition and he said, come here, just like he did this woman. You couldn't look up to him, but he could come to where you were. He could call your name. He could bring you to him. He could lay his hand upon you and he could say, thou art loose from this infirmity that has had you bound. This infirmity of Satan himself that has had you bound. You are loose from the sin. You are loose from this crippling disease that is sending you and taking you to hell. Praise God that he came to where I was. preaching about tonight. My Savior, He came to where I was and I wasn't in a synagogue. Hey folks, He came to where I was in my place of work. Maybe He done the same for you. Maybe you were in a church house. Maybe you were in a meeting house. Maybe it was revival. Maybe it was a regular meeting. Maybe it was midweek meeting. But either way, God came to where you were on the day that He knew that He could get to you. God's plan is greater than our plan. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and His ways are higher than our ways. God knew what He was doing even when we didn't. That's right. Praise God. He came to where this woman was. Yes. Amen. And He said, He said, It says He called her to Him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. From thine infirmity. This is your infirmity. Folks, your sin and my sin, that was our infirmity that we had. Jesus here calling this one. He says, you are loose from your infirmity. Whatever this infirmity was, we don't know an exact medical diagnosis for this woman. All we know is that she was bowed together or she was bowed together. That's all we know about this woman. But folks, we know from the scriptural accounts in the Old Testament and the New Testament what each and every one of our of our infirmities was on the spiritual plane. Our infirmity was sin. Our infirmity was rebellion against our maker, our infirmity was running from him, running from the things of God, running from the word of God, running from salvation running from the word of life which is Jesus Christ this was our infirmity, sin was our infirmity, but nevertheless in his mercy and in his compassion and in his long suffering and in his want to have relationship with his creation, God came to where you were and he loosed you from your infirmity. Hallelujah. That's our God, folks. That's our God. And he said, and he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. There wasn't no waiting. Jesus didn't lay his hands on her and say, now go home and wait a little while. 
Go home, wait a few hours. You pray just a little bit harder. Hey, where was this woman at? She was in the synagogue. She was in the meeting house right there where Jesus Christ was. Hey, folks, it didn't matter her infirmity. She didn't let that keep her at the house. She didn't let that. She didn't let that get in the way of her corporate worship of Almighty God. And she didn't let it get in the way to hear the teaching or the preaching of the Old Testament scriptures. Hey, and it, it, it aggravates me to know when, when I hear Christians, when I hear believers and professing believers use every excuse known to mankind to stay out of the house of God. This woman had had this infirmity for 18 years, probably could hardly walk, and it probably hurt her to do so, but yet she was found in the meeting house. Hallelujah. And God, Jesus, he came, to, he came to the synagogue and he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight. How many blessings, how many blessings might we rob ourselves of by simply staying away from the worship of God? By simply staying away from the meeting house? And I ain't saying if you don't go to church, you ain't going to get healed. That's not what I'm saying at all. But my goodness, how many times have you been blessed in the church house? How many times have you heard the testimony of one of God's saints that's just blessed your heart just as much as it blessed the one giving the testimony? How many testimony or how many blessings have we robbed ourselves of by laying out of the house of God when we know that we should have been here? Hey, folks, I understand. It happens to all of us. Sometimes we can't be here. Sometimes we can't be in a corporate setting. Sometimes we can't go to meeting. I understand that. And God, I truly believe, understands that. But this woman, an infirmity like this of 18 years, and yet she was right there where she should have been. And she was there when Jesus was there and Jesus called on her and Jesus laid his hands on her and Amen. Jesus said, thou art loose. And, and she was healed immediately. There was no waiting around. Hey, folks, when you see these false teachers on YouTube and you see these false healers on the television and they say, and they lay their hands on somebody and they say, well, maybe you're not completely healed right now, but go home and wait a few hours. You wait a few days. Hey, folks, that's not a biblical healing as far as I can tell, as far as the healings of Jesus Christ went, when Jesus Christ healed, it was immediately, it was permanently, he healed to the uttermost, just as he saves to the uttermost. Hallelujah. There's one exception to that. One exception. Jesus healed a blind man one time. And the first time the man tried to see, he said, I see men as trees. There's a whole other sermon than that. I ain't going to get into that. But the next time around, he saw clear. We ain't going to get into that. The ruler of the synagogue, verse 14. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. With indignation. He was upset that this woman was healed. Instead of rejoicing. Instead of rejoicing that a miracle had taken place in his synagogue. He was the ruler of the synagogue. Instead of rejoicing that a miracle had taken place in the place where he ruled, he answered with indignation. He was wondering why this was done on the Sabbath day. He was upset that Jesus had performed a work on the Sabbath day. Hey, folks, most people, most church members, most, uh, most Christians, most uh, believers, most 
most of them that I know say I was saved on a Sunday morning or I was saved on a Sunday evening. I know that the Sabbath fell on a Saturday, but I'm saying right now, what if God chose not to work on a Sunday? Where would you be right now? I'm glad that my God, He works Sunday through Saturday and it continues like that all year long. It doesn't matter the day of the week, the hour of the day, my God does His work, whether it be physical healing, whether it be imparting salvation to a lost soul. My God does His work when He wants to do His work and He does not need man's permission to do so. He's God. He created this world and He'll do what He wants when He wants. And we have no say-so in the matter. Praise God. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, this shows the cowardice of this man. It shows he had some fear of Jesus. He said unto the people, he wasn't even talking to Jesus. Although he was upset with Jesus for what Jesus had done. Yes, he says he said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. And then therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Well, praise God, I don't read anywhere in this scripture where this ruler of the synagogue had any power to heal nor any power to tell these people when they could be healed. I don't read that anywhere in this scripture or in the Old Testament or in the New Testament where this man would have had that kind of power, but yet he's telling the people and he and he's pretty much mocking Jesus as he does so. He says, he says, this man's done this work here on the Sabbath day, but you've got six days. We have six days in which we can do this work. You need to come during that six-day period. You leave the Sabbath alone. You, you rest on the Sabbath day. You don't need to do any work on that day. It says, And the Lord answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not, not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to the watering? Hey, Jesus here was throwing the insult right back at the ruler of the synagogue. He said, You're treating an ox and you're treating an ass better than you are someone that was created in the image of the God that you claim to worship the image of the God that you claim to have the zeal to keep the Sabbath for. You are treating an animal, a creature that is going back to the dirt better than you are someone creating the image of Almighty God that has a soul. Right. That's exactly what Christ was telling him. Yes. And he calls him a hypocrite. He said, and not not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, being a daughter of Abraham, saying she shares the same faith that you do, ruler of the synagogue. We're not giving this ruler's name. She shares the same faith that you do. She's a daughter of Abraham. She's your sister in that respect. Being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. In other words, what difference does it make what day of the week she's loosed from this bond on? She's your sister, and you're treating you're treating an ox and a donkey 
better than you would her. And every one of these people in this synagogue, if they, uh, uh, in every one of the rulers of the synagogue, the chief priests, the Pharisees, all these religious elites in the days of Jesus Christ, every one of them had their donkeys, every one of them had their oxen, every one of them had their livestock that they were taking care of, and every one of them would take care of them on the Sabbath day. This isn't the only time that Jesus ever ever addressed this situation uh, with, uh, with those uh, uh, those higher ups of his time. Hey, Jesus Christ was here in this synagogue and he touched this woman. He laid hands on her and made a miracle come to be made a miracle come to pass. And yet the ruler of the synagogue, the very one that should have recognized this as being an act of Messiah, he came against Christ with indignation. And Jesus passed that indignation right back. He passed judgment right back. When he said, when he called him a hypocrite, and told and told him what he would do on the Sabbath day for a lowly animal that had no soul, a lowly animal that had no relationship, had no covenant with Almighty God. It says that she's a daughter of Abraham. She is in covenant relation with with Almighty God, folks. Christ hadn't suffered on the cross yet. The law was still in full effect. The covenant. To those people, it was still in effect. The, the veil had not been written plain at this time. Jesus Christ was in the synagogue teaching. He had not shed his blood on Calvary's cross yet. And he is telling this ruler of the synagogue, she is a daughter of Abraham. She is your uh, she is your kindred. She is your people. She is she is your sister as far as that goes. And that should and that should have shamed the man it did. We read that in the last verse of this passage. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. They were ashamed. All of them, not just this ruler of the synagogue, says all of his adversaries, everyone that heard him uh, 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 preach this message to this man. That's exactly what he was doing. Everyone that heard him give this message to this man, every one of his adversaries. That was there. Everyone that wanted him out of the picture. Everyone that wanted Jesus Christ gone. Everyone that wanted him out of the way. All of his adversaries were ashamed because Jesus Christ spake the truth to them. Hey, Jesus Christ said himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The truth had spoken in this synagogue this day. The truth had let the truth be known. Hey, he's not a man that he could lie. Jesus Christ cannot lie. He will not lie. He spoke the truth to these men and it convicted their hearts and said that they were ashamed of their actions. They were ashamed of what they of what they thought of this situation in particular. They were ashamed of this man coming against Christ for healing on the Sabbath day. But yet you don't see them quit what they're doing. How many times has conviction hit lost people? And they keep on running. How many times has the Holy Spirit dealt? How many times has the gospel been preached? And the gospel been heard? And that lost heart is ripped open. And that seed falls in there. But it finds stony ground. Or it finds where the thorns and the thistles are. Or it falls by the wayside. Where the birds come. The fowl of the air come. And they, and they eat it for themselves. How many times has that happened? And then that lost soul that has felt conviction continues on its way without redemption. 
and without salvation. It continues on the same path that it was, on that path that is broad and leads to destruction. It, it hasn't found the straight path. It hasn't found the narrow gate. It's continuing on the same way that it was that it was uh, before conviction set in, and that's precisely what happened here. Because you don't see the you don't see an end to these things. You don't see the end to these people coming against Jesus Christ as He preaches and as He teaches, regardless of what day of the week it is, regardless of what's going on. You still see them coming against Christ. And when the final uh, when His final hour did come, when He was arrested, and when they took Him out to be tried, and they took Him up to Golgotha's hill, and the Jews were out there screaming, "Crucify! Crucify!" I wonder how many of them may have been in this very synagogue that Jesus Christ was in as he healed this woman. I wonder how many of those people that were screaming crucify had seen the blind eyes open. I wonder how many of them knew about the lepers being healed. I wonder how many of them knew about the dead being raised, but yet they still cried crucify. Because that was God's plan. That was God's plan. John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1 says he came into his own, and his own received him not. His own received him not. They weren't receiving him very well in the synagogue. This leader of the synagogue was not receiving Christ. Why was that? He was stepping on, Christ was stepping on this leader's authority. He was stepping on the clout that he had in this synagogue. People would go to him. People would say, answer this question for me. What does this mean in the law? If there was no lawyer, if there was no scribe, uh, close by, they would go to the ruler of the synagogue and ask these questions. And it made him feel important, made him feel powerful, made him feel like somebody. When he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. Praise God. And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. All his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done. This is all those that were present. All those that were in the synagogue, some of them may have been just outside of the synagogue. But all of his adversaries were ashamed. But yet all the people rejoiced. They may have been, some of them may have been rejoicing because this ruler of the synagogue had finally been put in his place. Some of them may have been rejoicing because of the miracle that had taken place. Some of them may have even been rejoicing because they had heard their mama and their daddy talk about Messiah and talk about the miraculous things that Messiah was supposed to do when he came and they just saw one of those miraculous things that was supposed to that was supposed to happen with Messiah. They just saw a healing. They just saw the things Man. that they knew from the Old Testament scripture was supposed to happen. Hey what did Jesus tell John's disciples when John's when John the Baptist sent them and they said are you he or should we look for another? He said don't you change a thing. You go back and you tell John uh, that, that that I am exactly who he thinks that I am. Don't change a word of what you've seen. You've seen the blind eyes open. You've seen the deaf ears unstopped. I am he and John knows it. Every Jew that had any experience with the Old Testament scriptures would have recognized Christ as being Messiah. They would have recognized him or should have recognized him. My goodness. The strength that is in numbers. The strength that is in numbers and the strength that is in fears. Once again, fast forward just a little bit from where we're at right now. Back to the back to the place called Calvary. Back to the hill called Golgotha. Everyone's 
Everyone's gathered around. They've gotten what they want. Christ is hanging there on that tree. The Jews got what they wanted. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they got what they wanted. There's Christ hanging on the tree. The folks, he was hanging there in the same mercy. He was hanging there in the same long suffering. And he was hanging there for the same reason that he healed this woman in this synagogue this day. He was hanging there because it was it was the Father's will that he hung there. He healed this woman because it was the Father's will that that woman be healed. He hung there on that tree on Calvary. And he suffered and bled and died because that was the Father's will. That was the plan of redemption from before the foundations of the world wherever be begun wherever laid that was the plan that God had put into place and each member of the triune God had agreed to this plan you couldn't rip one away from the other they all agreed that this is the way that it would be done that salvation would be provided for the creation of almighty God for those that were made in his very image this is the reason that Christ bled and died that we could be reconciled to the father the reason that this woman here was healed was to show that he was indeed Messiah that had been sent to be a light to the world, to be a light to the Jews, to be a light to the Gentiles. He came into the land of darkness and he shone his light and the people did not recognize nor want the light. And we're having a harder and harder and harder time nowadays, 2,000 years later, convincing people that the light is the way to go. Why is that? John chapter 3 tells us men love darkness rather than light. Jesus said this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than light. What a sad, sad story. But you were there at one time. If you're we're sitting here saved. You were there at one time. You loved the darkness rather than the light. I loved the darkness rather than the light before I got saved. But folks, now that I've got that light, now that I've got the light of Jesus Christ dwelling in me in form of the Holy Spirit. Hey, I love the light. And I love going to the light. Hey, even if it's to repent of some sin that I may have committed, hey, I'm, I'm glad that I have that light that yeah. I can go to. I'm glad that light is eternally shining in my soul and in my heart. That it exposes when I offend the thrice holy God, creator of the universe. It shows me when I've done that. And it shows me I need to be brought to a place of repentance. And I can go to the Father. I can go to my advocate in Jesus Christ. And I can go to the Father through him. And I can repent of my sin and I can stay in relationship and fellowship with my Lord. Hallelujah. This woman that was healed here, it was to show that he was the Messiah. That he was the promised one. He was the promised seed that was to come out of Israel. That was to be a blessing to all nations of the earth that was promised to Abraham way back in the Genesis or in the book of Genesis. This was the promised seed. This is the same promised seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 to bruise the head of the serpent. This, this seed was standing in a synagogue this day. And, and he healed a woman of an infirmity of 18 years. And the ruler of that synagogue came against the promised seed of God. Folks, the world is chock full of people nowadays that come against the promised seed of God. You can you can go out and you can talk about God until you're blue in the face and you ain't going to offend a whole lot of people.
people. But the moment you draw a line in the sand with the name of Jesus Christ, that's when things start to get feisty with the world. That's when the world starts to turn their back on you. You can talk about God because people relate God to all kinds of things. People relate to a God to some God that they've con concocted in their own minds. They relate to a God that somebody else has told them about that is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the second that you bring up Jesus Christ, hey, that's where the line is drawn in the sand. And that's where people will start to get offended. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ, as I've already said, is the way, is the truth, and is the life. And there is no one that can come to the Father but by Him, uh, through Him. He is the only way unto salvation. This world wants its own way to salvation. They want to live loose. They want to live unholy. They want to live unrighteous and still go to heaven. They want a Savior that will save them from hell, but that will not be a Lord over their lives. That's what it boils down to. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's right. He is Lord. Jesus Christ, in the grand scheme of things, He is Lord over all. Amen. He is Lord over all, whether we like it or not, whether we accept it or not. That's the cross of the scriptures. That's the cross that saved me. That's the cross that died for me. And that's the cross that's coming to get me one of these days. That's the cross that I serve. This woman, this woman was healed. That others might see that, she, that Christ was indeed Messiah. And when she was healed, they came against him. They came against Christ. How many of our families have done that? How many, maybe brothers or sisters, maybe even parents, spouses, we get a touch from Christ, we get saved. All of a sudden, we're not our own anymore. We've been bought with a price. All of a sudden, we've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus, which is how the scripture says it's supposed to be, how the scripture says that it will be. We're made a new creation in Christ. And how many of them turn our backs to it, turn their backs on us because of that? This ruler of the synagogue turned his back on Christ, looked to the crowd, and addressed the crowd. But he done it to his own shame, folks. People are doing that to their own shame, and they're doing that to their own guilt one of these days. But praise God, he has left a space for repentance for those Thank people. You. For those people, for anyone that's not in hell right now that has not accepted Christ Jesus as their salvation and as their Lord, for anyone that's not damned in hell right now that has rebelled against God and not repented, there is still a window of opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. Christ died for all. Amen. Christ died for all. He died for you. He died for me. And I praise God for that. That's the message. God praise bless Lord. you all. Amen. 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 Praise God.